Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. Glad you're here. If you join us online, good to have you as well. Love to see you in person. Miss you if you're not here. Um, if you're visiting with us, especially glad to have you. Um, just considered a gift that you would trust us with your time. And uh, more than anything, we, we want for you today to experience um, the goodness of God that we've been singing about. And we want you to hear directly from him today. Uh, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, actually 3, um, is our main text today that Daniel was just reading. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, you can do that now. If you don't own a Bible, um, there are Bibles around you. Um, and if, again, if you don't own a Bible, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So grab that, take it with you when you leave here today. And I promise we won't tackle you on the way out and try to take it from you. Like that's, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, before we get into Ephesians 3, just a quick shout out to the VBS peeps. Um, that's the coolest I can be. Um, so we're, any VBS volunteers in the room? Like, I want you to raise your hand right now so we can see you. There's one. One? There was like two in the other service. How did y'all handle 54 kids? Oh, my gosh. Hey, w- hey, just join me in thanking our VBS peeps for, like, man. Yeah, there was, like, way more uh, kids showed up than were registered. There was a lot of scrambling and trying to make things work. And so um, super thankful uh, for all who served in VBS uh, to make that happen. Um, I think 54 was the total number of kids we had that came through VBS this week, so that's super awesome. Um, so just a, a quick word on Ephesians that, that hopefully will be helpful to you. The, the way that really that God put together this letter through Paul is, is really, um, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's helpful, it's put together really, really well. Let me explain to you just kind of what you find if you read through the book of Ephesians. You're going to find that the book of Ephesians really is kind of like split in half. And where we're at in chapter 3 is kind of the, the middle or the hinge point for the whole, the whole book or the whole letter. Um, the first two chapters and part of where we're in today, um, the author Paul, he's writing about um, all the things that we have in Christ. All the spiritual blessings that if you're a Christian that you already have in Christ... And then in chapter 4 begins the back half of the letter, and he's going to talk about how because these things are true, here's how you live them out practically. And so where we're at today, though, is in this kind of hinge point where Paul has been hinting around um, about this mystery, this mystery of the gospel or this mystery of Christ, and he's going to lay it out for us today. And, uh, and so when you think about the idea of a mystery, I don't want you to think about something that can't be known or can't be experienced or can't be discovered, because that's not what we mean as it relates to God. What we mean is that um, the more that you discover, the more you discover that there's more to be discovered. That at whatever depth you get to, theologically, experientially, with God, there's always more to be had. So I like to think of this mystery of the gospel or this mystery of Christ um, like, a, like an iceberg. And you know there's a lot below the surface, but this is what you can see. This is what you've discovered. This is what you can touch. And the more you chip away at understanding who God is, what God has done for you, the more that comes to the surface. And just when you think you've discovered it all, you've gotten to the bottom of the iceberg, you realize that you've just began because so much more has come to the surface. And so what we don't mean is that God is mysterious in the way that he doesn't want to be known, can't be known, can't be experienced. But what we do mean is that you can never get to the bottom of him. And so this is where Paul is going to lay out for us today this mystery 
mystery of Christ or this mystery of the gospel. And so we'll pick this up in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says this, For this reason, and that's, we're going to come back to that, so let's skip that for a second. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard all of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. That means God revealed it, as I have written briefly. So he says, for this reason, the reason that he's referring to is what he laid out in chapter 1 and 2. So he laid out chapter 1, chapter 2, and says, okay, for this reason, then he moves forward. But then he references here saying, hey, I just wrote to you briefly in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Even though there's a lot there, a lot of layers to it, a lot of depth to it, I just wrote briefly about this mystery of Christ. And in verse 4 he says, And when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. We talked about that last week, this idea that our lives as Christians are built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. God's revelation, God revealing himself to prophets, God revealing himself to the apostles, and then these men writing these things down is how we have our scripture. The Holy Spirit of God inspiring these prophecies, these revelations, and ultimately these writings. And so what Paul's talking about here is this gospel, this good news, this mystery of Christ that's contained in this book. I don't know if you've been a Christian long enough or reading the Bible long enough to come across something that just kind of popped off the page to you and you're like, wow, I never saw that before. Maybe it's a passage of Scripture you've read before and then you're reading it again like for the first time. You're like, well, I didn't see that the first time. Okay, when that happens, it's not that God's Word is changing as you read it. It's that this, this mystery of the gospel is making itself known. God is making himself known to you through this Word. And so now in verse 6, he says this. The, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, that's like one sentence summarizing the idea of the mystery. But we know that Paul said a whole lot more than that in the opening two chapters. He talks about the Gentiles, and, and something about the Gentiles being included in the gospel helps us understand the depths of how good God is and, and, and to understand more deeply this profound mystery of the gospel. Just quickly, just kind of give you some overview in the Bible. Um, God begins making promises early on in the Bible. And in Genesis 12, just 12 chapters in, God makes this profound promise to a guy named Abraham. This is found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And what he tells Abraham is, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But this time, Abraham doesn't have any kids. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with kiddos. And not only that, like, 
he goes on to tell him about how you're, you're going to have so many kids, like they're going to be, you can't count them. Like stars or like the sand. So I know you and your wife are barren right now, but guess what? You're going to have children. I'm going to bless those children. And then he says this, he says, and through your offspring, through your family, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all other nations. So in Galatians chapter 3, the same guy who wrote Ephesians, Paul says this, that God was preaching the gospel beforehand when he told Abraham that I'm going to bless all nations through you. And there's that Gentile connection. So we can see the goodness of God. We can see the mystery of the gospel um, unfolded to the Jews, but something about the Gentiles being included in that makes it even deeper and and wider and, and even more incomprehensible. And so Paul just simply says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 7, we'll pick this back up. Paul says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me or given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. So what Paul is now referring to is his personal encounter with this mystery of the gospel. Like, as Paul thinks about who God is and what God has done for us in Christ, Paul's like, hey, I'm, even my calling to be a minister, um, even, you know, even my numbering among the saints is an expression of God's what? His grace. And he says, to me, though I'm the least the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to do something, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as I read through the book of Ephesians, that is the most concise expression of what Paul means when he refers to the mystery of the gospel. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. That does not mean that Christ cannot be found Christ cannot be experienced, that you can't gain knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for you and what he's doing in you, but it means that you and I will never get to the bottom of it. That the truths of Christ, that are the, the, the theology that's founded in Christ is unsearchable. You can't get to the bottom of it. This mystery is expressed this way, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's what I want to do. I want to back up for a minute. It seems like as Paul is unfolding these verses in chapter 3, he really wants us to be mindful of chapter 1 and 2. For this reason, I wrote to you briefly. And so when we hear him say, listen, it's the unsearchable riches of Christ that I'm talking about, then we back up to chapter 1. Let me read for you this brief description of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Starting in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We were in this this passage just like six weeks ago. 
He goes on to describe these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, these unsearchable things about Christ. He says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's pretty unsearchable. Like we can go after it. We can try to comprehend that. What does that mean? You predestined us before the foundation of the world. I can't fully wrap my mind around it. What an unsearchable mystery. He adds to that. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What? What kind of God does that? Adopts people like us into his family. Unsearchable. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses, according to the, here it is, riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us what? The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So all these references in Ephesians from Paul about the, the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's mercy, the riches of God's love, the riches of God's kindness. Now listen, you can know the love of God. If you don't know the love of God today, you can know the love of God today. If you don't know the kindness of God, you can know the kindness of God today. If you don't know the grace of God or the mercy of God, you can know the grace and the mercy of God today. Paul isn't saying you can't know it. What he's saying is you can't get to the bottom of it today. You can dig into it. You can grab a hold of it. You can let it grab a hold of you. You can search it. You can wrestle with it. You can contend with it. And it's like an iceberg. The deeper you go, the more that comes to the surface. He describes it a little bit more in the very next chapter, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. He says this, but God being rich in mercy. You hear that wording? How, how rich? Unsearchably rich. How wealthy is God in his, his love and his kindness? Because I just need to know if he's going to run out of, of love on me. It's, un, it's immeasurable, it's unsearchable, but because of but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us what you know that you're not worthy of God's love right like I'm not trying to shame you or beat you up like we just kind of know that inside right that if God is a holy being then then I don't deserve that kind of love God being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like what Paul is saying is that the, the, the kindness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God 
is so unsearchable that God will continue to get glory and it will continue to unfold even in the next age or the coming ages. You'll never get to the bottom of the iceberg in this life. And it seems like Paul is beginning to, to hint that there's going to be more to come even in the next. So as dig as I deep into who God is and his goodness towards me in this life, that in the next life, there's still going to be an unveiling of this, that in the coming ages, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, there will be no less days to what? Sing God's praise. It's the song Amazing Grace. Like you, can't, you won't get to the bottom of it in this age, and you may not get fully to the bottom of it in the next, and if you do, here's what's going to happen. Our worship of who God is, our exalting of who he is will not end. The song of heaven won't ring out and come back to the one chord and just settle into quiet. Like worship will continue. It's like, Try to wrap your mind around that. Like, science tells us that the, the universe that we're in right now is, like, ever-expanding. Like, try to wrap your mind around that. How big is it? I don't know. It just keeps growing. That's how I envision our worship of who God is. And, and here's why. I think what Paul's getting at in verse 7, back in Ephesians 2, when he says that in the coming ages, listen, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's how I imagine that. When I get to heaven, when I step into eternity with Christ, and I see you there, and you see me there, we're going to go, oh my gosh, God is rich in mercy. Oh my gosh, God is rich in, in grace. I, I, I knew before that God loved me, but now, like, Wow. Now I understand even more deeply how much God loves me. Just think about what Paul's expressing here and maybe just think through it this way. Um, when you think about God's mercy and his grace, think about grace this way. Grace is a gift you don't deserve. Okay? Grace is a gift that you don't deserve. So what God has given us in Christ is beyond what we deserve. Okay, so that's one thing we need to think about. But think of mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You with me? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting the thing that you don't deserve. And so like there's this enormous chasm between what God gives us versus what we deserve. And the more I grow in my understanding of how much I don't deserve the love of God, the, the more I begin to understand just how magnificent his grace towards me is. You with me? It's like this ever-expanding universe or chasm. The deeper I go, the more I uncover from this iceberg of God's kindness towards me, the more that comes to the surface. And just when I thought I had my footing and I had my arms wrapped around it and my mind wrapped around it, I chip off a piece and, and then it turns and rolls and comes up and I'm like, oh my gosh, blown away again. Blown away again. Um, there's a, uh, I don't know about you parents, um, whoever hear that, that's not fair. So I've always just kind of tried to approach that statement from my kiddos this way. Hey, it's not my job to be fair. Like, nowhere did God ever say, 
Here's what it means to be a dad. You need to be fair. My job is to be just, right? That's as best I can be is, is, is to be just in every situation. But how many of us have said that to God? That's not fair. God, that's just not fair. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've prayed that. Maybe today you're on the way here and you're just like, this is not fair. We don't want fair. Fair is getting what you deserve. Now, there's room in your wrestling with God and your relationship with God to feel that. When you feel that coming up, I want you to bring that to him. So I'm not trying to shame you for feeling that way. What I'm helping us understand is that when I feel that way, here's what I anchor myself in. Actually, you're right. God isn't fair, right? Remember, mercy and grace, he's actually more than fair. That's this mystery of the gospel. It would have made a whole lot more sense to our finite brains if God would have just given us what was fair, what we deserved. But listen, we don't want fair from God. We want more than fair. And that's the mystery of this gospel. What's going to happen, and we'll see this next week, is after this piece of Ephesians 3, Paul's going to pray over us, and he's going to say, oh God, just like help, help us comprehend this mysterious love. Help us get to the, the bottom of it. Help us find the, the breadth and the width and the length and the height of this great love you have for us. And even still, we won't get to the bottom of it, God. And so he'll pick this up in verse 9. Paul says this, not only has he been sent to preach this gospel, he says, and to bring to light, to make it visible for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul is saying, that's my heart. That's why I wrote this down for you to bring these things to light, to show you something I found, to encourage you, inspire you, nudge you to go deeper into who Christ is. And then he's going to turn to us, the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Christ is saying... God made this mysterious, unsearchable, unfathomable gospel. He made it known to me. By his grace, he called me to take this gospel to the Gentiles. Now I'm giving it to you. You can, you can perceive my insight into it, he says, as you go back and reread it. And now, church, this has been entrusted to you. Keep going after it. Keep making it known. To who? Everybody. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places to the ends of the earth until everybody has heard. Church, we have the same commission Paul had. So today is partly... Right, You and I, in our personal relationship with God, our personal pursuit of understanding who Christ is, God is 
calling you, inviting you into the unsearchable riches of God's grace and mercy towards you. And then, as you find it, as you discover it, as you grab a hold of it, as it grabs a hold of you, you are now a steward of this mystery of the gospel to make it known to the world. Paul will land here in verse 11. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And now he's going to make a reference to his suffering in prison. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is, or this is, to your glory. I want to just land on that glory for just a minute. Um, For some of this, this is going to be hard to comprehend. Wait a second, I thought we were supposed to give glory to God. Let's glorify God. What's going on here? He's talking about my glory. Um, Romans 8 talks about this. I'll just read Romans 8. Um, We know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who were called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's doing in your life right now. If you're a Christian, he's conforming you into the image of Jesus in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we, the, the, the deeper we go into the mystery, the more and more we look like him. The more and more we look like siblings of Jesus, brothers and sisters of Christ. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Here's how I'm kind of imagining all this, that what's being meant to, to understand about this is that you and I being adopted into God's family, like you and I being included in God's kingdom, you and I being called saints and members of his household, like you and I receiving all those things as true makes much of God. Just me being in the eternal presence of God brings him glory. So when I am glorified, I think included in that is, right, new body, like, like new body, whole, made whole, completely healed, no more frailty, all those things. But the glory piece that's going to happen is God glorifying himself through me. Like when I get to heaven, I'll be there. <laughs> and like that alone is going to bring God glory. And then let alone you showing up, Right? Like, that's the end result. That's what we're aimed at, is that God would be glorified. I think this is what Paul was getting at when he said in the coming ages that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. So everything that's below the surface in that iceberg illustration, when I die, that's what I'm going to be digging into when I step into eternity. And in this life, I'm going to be digging into this iceberg. What is true about God? What is true about me? Does God really love me? Boom, I just discovered he actually does. Boom, I just discovered he loves me more than I can fathom. Boom, I just discovered he loves me more, right, than, than I deserve. Boom, wait, he's giving me mercy. He's not making me pay back what I, what I owe him. Whoa, he's giving me grace, and I just keep digging. I keep digging. I keep digging. The truth of the gospel just keeps coming to the surface, and I can't get to the bottom of it. 
step into eternity. We'll see it there like, wow. In the coming ages, there'll be this beautiful display of his kindness towards us. That is the mystery of the gospel. I want to land um, with some things to think about. To invite you to begin to think about, well, if this is true then, what am I going to do with it? And as you begin to think about the difficulty of grasping God's love for you, um, can we just talk about some practical things that also get in the way? Like, the way God meant for you to experience him in this world was that you would be born into a family, and as a little baby, mom and dad would reflect or bear God's image in your home towards you. Like God, you'd be able to see God's love, his grace, his kindness, just by looking at mom and dad, so that when you hear that God is kind, you go, I know what that looks like. When you hear that God loves you and has this, this, this love that's just, you can't get to the bottom of it, you go, man, that kind of reminds me of mom or reminds me of, of dad. Now, the problem is none of us grew up in that household. I, even those of you who are like, eh, it was pretty good. Like, yeah, it was pretty good, but it wasn't that. Right? And if anything, most of us grew up in something that was really broken. Like, we either didn't hear I love you, which is like my granddad's generation. Some of you grew up in homes, you never heard your dad say he loves you. Some of us grew up in homes where you heard I love you, but were treated differently. Maybe mistreated even. Abandoned, neglected, abused. And what was said didn't align with what happened. So get this. Now when you hear God loves you, he has love for you, right? it's distorted. Like, I can't comprehend that. What does it mean that God is a good father and he's kind towards me? I don't know what that looks like. And so there, like, as we come to, I love that song, come to the father, his arms are open. Why? Because even though that may be my experience, like God is redeeming that. If I bring that broken mess to God, he'll meet me in it and go, you know what? You're right. You have been mistreated, abandoned, neglected, you haven't been loved well. And the Father says, but my arms are open wide. I'm ready to love you well. I'm ready to say I love you and mean it. I'm ready to say I love you and not abandon you. I'm ready to say I love you and not neglect you. And so this, this iceberg of a mystery of truth that we can't get to the bottom of, it's not just head knowledge. It's a, it's a truth that's meant to be experienced. God just, he isn't just inviting you to learn more about him. He's inviting you to experience more of him. As he is. This is the way our distortions get corrected. This is the way our answers get answered. Oh God, is there a chance you could love somebody like me? I hear the preacher boy up there saying it, but like, I, man, I just don't know that I can believe it. How do you know the answer? God's like, hey, can I, speak on my, can I speak for myself? Yeah, God, speak. Can, do you love me? <laughs> for I so love you that I sent my only son to die for you. But, but what about this mercy thing? God, are you really not going to give me what I deserve? Like, I have wrecked shop. I have made a mess of my life. I have hurt others. Are, you really have mercy for me? 
Yeah. Unsearchable mercy. Immeasurable mercy. God, are you really going to be kind towards me? Or are you just going to kind of let me into heaven and, and expect me to stay in the corner and keep my mouth shut and behave myself? Are you really going to be kind? God says, yes. This is the mystery of the gospel. What? Paul isn't just inviting you to understand it, he's inviting you into it. How do you get into it? <laughs> how do I get in Christ? He says like nine times in the chapter one about if you're in Christ, how do I get in Christ? He says it in Ephesians 2, 8. You're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace? Yeah, God does the saving. He saves you by grace. Okay, what is he asking of me? Through faith. And this is not your own doing, so that none of you gets to boast. So here's the invitation to you. I said earlier, so, like, today may be the day for you to experience the goodness, the kindness, the love, and the mercy of grace of God for the first time. He's asking you to take a step towards him in faith. You're like, man, can I get more instructions than that? Yeah, but it starts there. It starts with believing the promises that he's told to you. And as you take that step of faith towards him, you come into his presence. I don't deserve to be here. I have sinned. I've made a mess of my life. This is what repentance sounds like. God, I'm gonna take a risk here and just believe that what you said in the Bible is true, that you'd have enough kindness for me, and so I'm here, God. I'm here. Can you forgive me? Can you adopt me into your family? Will you let me be numbered among the saints? And God says, yes. Yes. If that's you, you can, when we stand to sing in a minute, we're gonna do that. Um, it's, it's, I think it's appropriate when God's spoken and stirred in us just to like express back to him worship and that's what we're gonna do in our singing. But if you want to spend time just like praying, like maybe you wanna stay right where you're at, like don't wanna move, that's perfectly fine. If you wanna come grab a prayer partner and say like, hey, will you talk with me or pray with me? Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, out in the commons area, all, our elders will be out there. We have lanyards on. We'd be happy to talk with you more. But here, now, the invitation has been set before you. Are you going to take that step of faith? That's up to you. I'm going to pray that you'll take it. Um, for those of us here that have been Christians maybe for some time, I've got a couple of questions here I want you to think about as well. I want you to think about when was the last time you can remember being awestruck by God's kindness towards you? like caught off guard, like, whoa, like, I, I always thought you were good, but, like, now I know you're good, like, when was the last time you were overwhelmed with the unsearchable riches of God's grace towards you? And then I want you to think about this, how would you describe that to somebody who isn't a Christian? What words would you put to this mystery of the gospel and his kindness towards you? How would you describe that to somebody who's not a Christian? 
And then lastly, it seems like Paul wants us to to walk away from this passage going, oh wow, we've been entrusted with this mystery. We're supposed to make it known. And so what would that look like this week for you and I to go out into the world and to reflect these unsearchable qualities of God to the world around us? Maybe starting in our own home. Maybe starting in our own marriages. Starting in our own parent-children relationships. What would it look like to live out this mysterious gospel? To take what you've uncovered of this magnificent iceberg and to begin to give that away to the people in your life. I'm going to end here. I'm going to pray over us and ask prayer partners to come forward and our worship team will come back out and lead us. And so um, I just encourage you to respond in whatever way God is leading you this morning. Whatever that step of faith needs to be for you, I just encourage you to take it today. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for these unfathomable, um, unsearchable, immeasurable truths. And I thank you that you invite us to step into them. To trust in something we can't fully comprehend. To seek after that which we can't fully get to the bottom of. Namely, your goodness. God, I pray for us in this room today. I pray for anybody who's listening later in the week that today might be among those moments in our life that we would look back on and consider as a moment of being awestruck by your kindness towards us. Father, you are kind, you are loving, you are merciful, you are gracious, all of these in increasing measure. Father, we pray lastly for anybody here today who walked into this space or who clicked on listening to this service who has never tasted your goodness who has never even dared to believe that you would be kind that today would be the day of salvation that that person would take a step of faith towards you trusting in you asking for forgiveness and then getting it asking for love and then receiving it asking to be adopted into your family and then be adopted. Father, I pray that that person right now would take that step of faith towards you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.